0: So, just a, a, a couple of words uh, before our scripture passages, and that is: so last week, um, a few days ago, I was I was thinking about, and I was wondering, what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> and and I was thinking about the usual suspects of you know Fourth of July weekend, freedom, independence, that type of thing, and then Thursday happened. And I'm not talking about the letter that Lauren and I sent. I'm talking about the Supreme Court decision. Um, And all of a sudden, there was an elephant in the room. And we're not going to talk about that today in political terms, really, but uh, what we are going to do is we're going to explore this in terms of what does our faith say about this, in terms of our pursuit for justice and equality. And, of course, as people of faith, it is our commitments, our voluntary commitment to first and foremost be guided in all of our actions by our faith. So let's begin with our scripture passages, the set of framework for our faith in this regard, and let's read these together. First from Proverbs. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then in Matthew, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then from the Apostle Paul, who is talking about our collective identity. And he says, You are the body of Christ. God has put the body together. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And with that, may God bless our understanding and our living of this word truly of abundant life. All right. So as human beings, we live within at least three different systems. We live uh, within our history, our personal history, our collective history, whatever that may be. We live within um, politics, personal politics, collective politics, whatever that may be. And we live within our faith, and whatever that may be. And regarding affirmative action, the Supreme Court said, hey, let's not judge people based on their race. And I couldn't agree more. And our faith couldn't agree more. As of three days ago, as it was written in the Wall Street Journal, and and, and it seemed like everywhere there was just article after article But specifically in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article that was titled, The Supreme Court Strikes Down Affirmative Action. And in it, it said, quote, The Supreme Court had one of its finest hours on Thursday as it reaffirmed in logical but forceful fashion the bedrock American principle of equality under the law. And after I read that, I thought about that phrase again and again. The bedrock American principle of equality under the law. And I thought, how have we done with that? As a matter of record, historically. Has equality been a bedrock American principle? And if so, for how long? And in what ways? And for whom? If it has, why did some people think we needed affirmative action in the first place? But now the Supreme Court ruling says affirmative action is now wrong. Because it's wrong to discriminate or choose based on race. And again, I couldn't agree more that it is wrong to discriminate or choose based on race. And our faith agrees with that, saying in Christ there is no east or west, in him no north or south, no Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free. But where have we been with that as a matter of record in this regard? So let's take a little walk through history and take a look at some some things that have happened. And first, let's start with a definition. Definition of affirmative action is described as a policy that A seeks to address historical injustices and B promote equal opportunities. And I am not a scholar of affirmative action. And so, with all of this is going on, one of the most important things, and it should be in all of our lives, certainly in the country, in the last couple of days, I studied, and I read, and I learned, because I didn't know, because I'm not an expert. And I thought, where did that term even come from? The term affirmative action was coined in 1961. By an executive order of John F. Kennedy. And in that it was declared that, quote, it is the policy of the United States to encourage by affirmative action the elimination of discrimination in employment. And specifically that really had uh, 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 regards to to United States government employment. And from that it developed into It's aimed to promote equal opportunities by providing preferential treatment or affirmative, proactive action, action that affirms to individuals or groups who have historically faced cultural or systemic obstacles or barriers due to their race, gender, or other characteristics. And this definition adds... Quote, this policy acknowledges the lingering effects of past injustice and seeks to level the playing field. So I was talking to someone about this maybe six weeks ago or so. Good person. Similar subject. And he said, hey, we have a level playing field. Slavery ended a long time ago, and that's true, it did. So he said, isn't the playing field already level? So let's take that walk, and let's start with the Emancipation Proclamation which declared that enslaved people in states or areas of rebellion against the United States would be free, effective January 1st, 1863. The Civil War didn't end until two years and four months later, on April 9th, 1865. But then when the 13th Amendment was ratified, it was ratified eight months after that, On December 6, 1865, and that was three years after the Emancipation Proclamation, so that's really the end of slavery. Is the end of slavery the same thing as being free or equality? Is that the same as a level playing field? Is it the same spiritually as being one with the body of Christ? So I thought about this and I thought, I don't know, how about the right to vote? When you're freed from slavery, when did that happen? Well, that came two more amendments later. The 15th amendment allowing black men to vote. And that took five more years to be ratified. On February 3rd, 1870. I thought, well, okay, is, is that then equality? Well, 26 years after that, which was 31 years after freedom from slavery in 1896, the Supreme Court with Plessy versus Ferguson officially legalized segregation under the rubric of separate but equal, trying for equality that way. Legalizing separate but equal. Separate facilities for the races. Separate seating, separate eating, separate lives, and separate education. That was decided in 1896. That's a long time ago. But then, (laughs) that held for the next 50 years. So legally, there was no slavery in physical bondage, not in physical chains, but is that equality? For more than 50 years, the overwhelming majority of African-American citizens of the United States were legally second-class citizens. And that was under the Jim Crow segregation system. I've heard a lot about Jim Crow segregation system, but you know what? I'm probably not as smart as many of you because I didn't really know specifically what a lot of that involved. I heard it as a term and kind of got the idea, so I checked into it. What were some of those Jim Crow laws? Give me some examples. okay? In Kentucky, for example, one of the states of the Union in 1904, it was illegal, and in many other places, to maintain or operate any college or school or institution where persons of white and African-American races were both allowed to attend. And the penalty for not following this law was a $1,000 fine. And the United States Supreme Court upheld that statute when it was challenged. In 1921, a law was passed outlawing African-American people and white families from living in the same home. In 1933, segregated libraries were authorized. 1944, separate railroad coaches... For white and for African-American passengers were, what, suggested? Allowed to take place? Nope. Required by law. In 1952, interracial marriages were prohibited by law. With a penalty of $1,000 and or five years in prison. Interracial marriage, by the way, was made legal in our country by the Supreme Court. Any guesses? When? Sixties? 1967. We'd already had people to the moon. Now, I shared, this with it, uh, I shared this at the beach service. And someone came up to me afterwards, who uh, uh, was in an interracial marriage. And she said, well, actually, she says, yes, that was the Supreme Court case of a person named, last name Loving versus, and she said, "Um, actually, that was, I mean, you know, very kind way, but she said, actually, while that was a Supreme Court ruling, it was allowed to roll out state by state after that. So she said... Interracial marriage was against the law in Alabama until, when? Later. Until 2000. She said, I know that because she and her husband said, we were in Alabama when it was still illegal for us to be married in the year 2000, a couple of months before this existed. In 1956, the first hard disk was invented by IBM. Elvis was big. Somebody at the beach service also came up and said, Elvis still is big. (laughs) Teflon pans were invented. And in 1956, a law provided that all persons, firms, or corporations were to create separate bathroom facilities for members of the white and African races employed by them or allowed to come into their business. In addition, separate rooms to eat in, as well as separate eating and drinking utensils were allowed, were suggested, nope were legally required for white and African-American races with a fine of $100 to $1,000 or 60 days up to one year in prison. 1956, also, all public parks, recreation centers, playgrounds, etc. were required to be segregated. And then in 1957, something magical happened. Paul Whitmore was born. <laughs> In 1960, I was three years old. And the races of all candidates were to be written on voting ballots. Physical slavery had ended. But was there yet equality? either legally or in spiritual terms. And then we get to 1964. Now, 1964 is 101 years after the Emancipation Proclamation. And 101 years after the Emancipation Proclamation comes the Civil Rights Act. I was in the third grade. I was eight years old. Now, the year before this took place, I was in the second grade. And when I was in second grade, when I was in kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, discrimination was legal. Perfectly fine. And it was all I knew. All I knew up until then was discrimination was just fine. And you know what? It was all that anyone in our country knew, because it wasn't illegal yet. Now this may be hard to believe, knowing human nature as we do, but when discrimination did finally become illegal, everyone did not jump up and down for joy. Or comply right away. Can you believe that? Well, I, uh, what was it like? So both of my parents grew up in Maryland and uh, we would go down there and visit all the time because their parents were still there. And um, Maryland isn't far away but of course it's south of the Mason-Dixon line. So my mom's farm that we used to go to was on the Antietam Creek. Remember the Battle of Antietam? So we went to visit after 1964, well after 1964. And I remember going into bathrooms where there were signs that said, and they were upheld, believe me, in Funkstown, Maryland, that said, whites only, white only bathrooms. I sat in restaurants with my parents where there was white only seating. I remember whites only drinking fountains with a sign. That was happening years after 1964. So just because something becomes law, doesn't mean it immediately changes people's hearts, does it? Up until 1964, if you were black, if you were Asian, if you were Middle Eastern, Muslim, anything, maybe somebody just didn't like your looks, You couldn't move into a white neighborhood if the realtor or the banker didn't want you to, and that was just fine. So that's in my lifetime. Now in my mind, I'm not that old. (laughs) And you know what? Half the population here, it wasn't just black people. This included women. The Equal Credit Opportunity Act didn't come into play until. You've been guessing this morning? What are some guesses? Did I? I think I heard it. The 70s, 1974. I was a junior in high school. The Equal Credit Opportunity Act of 1974 prohibited discrimination against credit applicants based on gender, among other factors. 1974, many of you lived it, just guessing, was the first time that women could not be legally barred from having a credit card in their own name. So in my lifetime, My lifetime. Was there yet a genuine living of the vision and the imperative from Proverbs, from Jesus, from Paul? Were we yet living as the one body of Christ? Are we yet living as the one body of Christ with the Native Americans? And what's happening now? Which, by the way, when you go out there to the reservation and you go off reservation, there are signs in some store windows. What do they say? We don't serve Lakota or dogs. We don't serve Lakota or dogs. 2023, United States of America. So... When I read that article in the Wall Street Journal and articles in so many different publications that said, quote, the Supreme Court had one of its finest hours as it reaffirmed the bedrock American principle of equality under law, I thought, has it been a bedrock American principle under equality under the law for everyone? In what ways and for how long? Where have we been with that as a matter of record? Why did we need affirmative action in the first place? And is everything now right enough with those who have had generations of being legally discriminated against? And now finally they have their chance. Is that an equal level playing field? The Supreme Court ruling said affirmative action is wrong because it's wrong to discriminate or choose based on race. I agree with that. And our faith agrees with that. But where have we been? And how do we get to where we need to go? There's a book whose title is the famous quote that says, We stand on the shoulders of those who went before us. I love that quote. And that's true. It's true for everyone. It's true standing on the shoulders of those who had opportunities. And it's true for the people who are standing on the shoulders of those who went before them, whose opportunities were made illegal for generations. In the book it says, the beginning of a legacy is to never be forgotten. It is the starting point of who you are. It is the examination of where you come from. And again, that's true for people of opportunity Like me. Because of my color, certain doors have been opened that I don't even have to think about. And it's also true for people whose opportunity has not been allowed. So what's the point? The point is our legacy has many roots and none of the shoulders that we stand on are pure Spotless, without error, or without history. Mine aren't. We have our political history, we have our social history, and we have our spiritual history, our faith, whose purpose is to drive and to inform every aspect of our life and the decisions that we make including our politics. Our faith says, this is who you are, and this is who other people are, and this is how we live with, and this is how we treat each other as the one body of Christ. Our history on that is clear, and our faith is equally clear regarding how to treat each other and I think about things like well, a rule's a rule and needs to be applied to everyone equally and fairly. A commandment is a commandment. Yes? Jesus said, I didn't come to break the law. But do you sometimes adapt the law under special circumstances to address a greater human need of suffering? Like, for example, waving one of the Ten Commandments, not for everyone, but for one who is under special circumstances. And then you go ahead and you heal that person on the Sabbath, even though it's against the commandment of God, because that person is in special need and needs your care. According to some people, You don't do that. A law is a law. According to Jesus, you do do that. He healed on the Sabbath. Even though he maintained, yeah, the Sabbath is still one of the Ten Commandments. And you honor that under most circumstances. And you know what? with that he created a gray area and that gray area drove people insane and killed him and that gray area still drives people insane so let's put first things first to whom and what do we obey Who is our Lord? Who is our sovereign? As Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. And then he says, now let's act that way. Amen.